What do you call a bookshelf full of fake news? A library. <laughs> you know, in 2017, fake news became the Collins Dictionary Word of the Year, and it has remained in the headlines ever since. Although the phrase seems to be a modern phrase, and in fact you can even take a diploma in fake news at Davidson University in the USA, fake news has been around since time immortal. It started in the Garden of Eden when the devil completely misrepresented the truth of God's character and his integrity thus tricking Adam and Eve into believing that if they consumed the fruit, they wouldn't die and they would have God-like powers. And we are reaping the benefits of that ever since. Recently, I was chatting to a friend of mine about the film The Chosen. It's a Christian film series. He's not a believer yet, and in the Chosen series, just like in Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, Mary Magdalene is portrayed as a prostitute. And my friend said to me, ah, she can't have been a prostitute because she was Jesus' husband, wasn't she? My friend is a great reader and he probably read Dan Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code. where it is stated that Mary Magdalene was Jesus' wife. I just want to make it clear that in this series on preaching on women in the Bible, our source book is the Bible, not fiction, uh, not popular uh, magazines or anything like that, um, because those popular magazines only feed fake news. I've met some Christians who also believe that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute and some of them even say that they thought that she was Jesus' wife. So two little things to prick from the beginning is the first thing is that Jesus never married. He will marry a bride one day and that's called the church, the bride of Christ. Can you imagine if Jesus had married, what a desperately horrible plan that would have been of God the Father to allow his son to marry an earthly woman and then to have him pinned to a cross at the age of 33, probably with children, in a society where women were not valued. What a cruel thing to have happened. And the second thing is, Jesus had a very specific purpose. <clears throat> and if he had been married, he, his wife's needs would have come before his mission. It never says in the Bible or even suggests that Jesus was ever married. The second thing I want to prick this morning is that the Bible never ever refers to Mary Magdalene as a prostitute. Not once. The reason why people think she was is, firstly, she was from Magdala. Uh, you know, but Jesus the Nazarene, or Mary from Magdala, Magdalene. 
That's why she was known as Mary Magdalene. And Magdala was a very prosperous town. It it, um, dyed uh, cloth. It had primitive textile factories. It was quite a wealthy town. And actually, with lots of traders coming backwards and forwards, there was also, of course, um, a bit of a prostitution trade that was going on in Magdala at the time. So some people thought because she was from Magdala, she could have been a prostitute. The second reason is that, that the first time we actually hear of Magdalene, Mary Magdalene being mentioned in the Bible is in Luke chapter 8, which Trudy read for us today. And that immediately follows Luke chapter 7, believe it or not, where a prostitute ministered to Jesus in a house and he forgave her. And so some preachers have made the link between that event and Mary Magdalene. You know, the early church fathers who, after, um, with the formation of the scriptures, are, after the apostles, are the people that we look to, and they never once referred to Mary Magdalene as a prostitute. Sadly, the Catholic Church, can I say this? Um, the Protestant Church is not much better in some cases, but the Catholic Church in 1394 started Magdalene Houses for women of ill repute. And they've perpetuated this fake myth that she was a prostitute. So today I want to focus on what the scriptures do tell us about Mary. And my message is thankful, faithful, devoted. Thanks so much for the songs that were chosen today about thankfulness and being grateful. You know, I read in the newspaper yesterday that uh, a man in India was by the river Ganges and he saw a little... Um, boaty thing float by and heard a cry he waded out and it was a little baby a three week old baby that had been put in the Ganges it was a baby girl and do you know what the report said over the last 50 years they reckon 45.1 million baby girls have been lost to infanticide in India because they do not value women But I want to say this quite clearly, God highly esteems women, values them highly, as you will hear from Mary's story. Firstly, we know that Mary was delivered. She was delivered of seven demons. She was a very troubled lady. She was possessed. She was dominated by demonic activity. She wasn't oppressed, and there's a difference between oppression and possession. Oppression happens, and it happens to all Christians. It happened to Jesus when he was in the wilderness. He was oppressed by the devil, and it happens to you and me. If you're a Christian walking the Christian life, you will know that there are times in your life when oppression can come. But she was possessed. With possession, people can become incoherent, emotionally unstable, convulsed, muted, and insane. The devil and his demons are very powerful, and we have to be very careful that we don't open ourselves up to that activity. You know, in our sanitized Western culture, we think we're so advanced that we poo-poo all that sort of stuff as superstition. It only happens in the third world. But don't you believe it. The devil does not want to be at all 
um, noticed. He works behind the scenes in all sorts of different ways to suck people down a track of not believing in Jesus. That's the basic thing. So the question raises for Mary Magdalene, how did she become possessed? Well, possession happens in one of three ways. Firstly, through inheritance. Um, The sins of the fathers can be passed down through generations to generations, and possession and domination can happen through inheritance. Secondly, through falling into temptation and encouraging um, an ongoing sin. Um, Involvement in the occult, um, involvement in pornography, alcohol, drugs, financial greed, any of those things can lead to a track of demonic possession. The story of Judas is a classic example. Judas, who was there with Jesus, who was healing the sick and doing all those things, it says, and then the devil entered him because he had this love of money. Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts both um, were given God's judgment because they hung on to money and they lied to the Holy Spirit, the community of faith. And this is why we pray Lord, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. That's how we pray that prayer. We're asking the Lord to protect us. And the third way that possession can happen is through traumatic events. When people have traumatic events in their lives that are sudden, traumatic, and they create fear, fear is always a gateway for demonic activity. So enough of that. Let's put that to one side. Because I want to say this, demons have to submit to God Almighty. They are created beings, and all the way through Jesus' ministry, he delivered people from demons. He forgave people's sins, which originate from the devil. John tells us this, the reason why the Son of God was made a human being was so that he would destroy the devil's works. God is into restoration. He's restoring his kingdom. And he's getting rid of the evil and getting rid of it. And the classic moment in history is when Jesus died on a cross for the sins of the world. Paul says this, He, God, has cancelled the record of debt that stood against us by nailing them to the cross where he disarmed the rulers and triumphed over them in Christ. The demons hate you to mention the cross. They hate it because that's where they were defeated. And what's more, Jesus said this, he commissioned his disciples, any Christ follower like you and me, he commissioned us to deliver people from demons. He says, and these signs will accompany those who believe in me. In my name they shall drive out demons. This can only be done in the name of Jesus Christ by a person who loves and knows Jesus and is filled with the Holy Spirit. There was a group of men in the book of Acts who thought they could deliver demons because they saw Paul doing it. And the demons said, we don't know who you are. And these people leapt on them and ripped their clothes off and they ran out into the street naked. So be careful. Deliverance can only happen when you know Jesus, when you proclaim his name, and when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The second thing I want to say about Mary is her devotion. 
Once she was delivered by Jesus from her tormentors, she became perhaps the most devoted disciple who has ever been. She owed so much to Jesus. She was incredibly generous with her giving. She supported Jesus with her cash. And I think, it doesn't actually say this in the scriptures, but I have a suspicion that she was probably involved in the textile trade because she left her vocation and she went around supporting Jesus and his ministry out of her own pocket. She went around as Jesus and the team were ministering to people, healing and delivering people. She went around with Joanna and Susanna and others, showing their love by practically providing for their team. I think she probably bought them food. She probably paid for motels. I don't know if they had motels in those days, but inns. They certainly had inns. We know that, don't we? You know, they supported Jesus and the team. Why? Because they'd been set free by Jesus. This was real life. I think Jesus is the presence of Mary and her devotion and support was so precious to Jesus. So, so precious. Perhaps the two most telling times when Mary showed her devotion to Jesus was at the cross and at the tomb. Not only was she present at the mock trial of Jesus by the Sanhedrin, but also she was present in Pilate's hall where she heard the religious leaders clamoring for his blood, for the one who had set her free and set so many free. She was there when Pilate pronounced the death penalty on Jesus. She watched as Jesus was taken away to the cross. And she was there with a number of women. The brave disciples had fled. All the brave blokes, the males, had left. Who was at the cross? The women. The women were at the cross. They were comforting Jesus as he went through the valley of the shadow of death. What a comfort they must have been to him. She was there when the body was taken down. She followed as Nicodemus and Joseph took the body to the tomb. On the very first day after the Sabbath, she was the first one that went to the tomb. Not Peter, not John, not Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mary, she went to the tomb. And she discovered the tomb was empty. And so she ran back and told the disciples. And two of the brave disciples, Peter and John, rushed off. They discovered that Jesus was not there. And then Mary finally went into the tomb and an angel met her. And the angel said to her, what are you looking for? She said, where is my Lord? My Lord. Get that. Where is my Lord? Where have you put him? And then she came out. And she thought it was a gardener. And she was the 
first one to meet the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege. She threw herself at his feet. I reckon that love, the emotion, the grief just poured out of her as she recognized her saviour. And all that he'd done for her. And then he gave her the greatest honour. He said, you go and be the first preacher of the good news. You go and tell my brothers that I'm alive. That's the message of the New Testament, that Jesus is alive. Do you know, I was thinking about this just yesterday. Jesus also commissioned a woman of Samaria to be the first preacher to the Samaritans, the woman at the well. Here's a woman who'd been married five times, who was now living with a guy, and he ministered to her, told her everything that she'd ever done. She went back, and the whole town came out to see Jesus. She was the first preacher to the Samaritans. And I think that this shows us that God values women as preachers of the gospel, totally values them. So what can we learn from Mary's life? I think there are two things I want to conclude. Here are the two things. Firstly, we can learn that what Christ has done for Mary, she can do for you and even more. The Bible says this, with God nothing is impossible. With God all things are possible. Mary had been delivered of seven demons. She'd been healed of her afflictions, her insanity, her maladies and her soul. Her deliverance is a lesson to us that whatever state we are in, God can set us free. It may not be demons. It could be health. It could be financial problems. It could be a marriage breakup or relationship breakdowns. It could be that you just need God's strength to live every day for Jesus. I know I do. God can supply all. A friend of mine in Nepal who's... Uh, Right leg was um, amputated um, at the end of last year. Very, very sad story. I won't go into it. But, you know, he says, every day I thank God for saving me. He was unconscious for seven days, knocked over by a truck. I just thank God every day for saving me. It may be, and I want to touch on this, some secret sin that has been in your life that you've asked forgiveness for, but you've just got that nagging doubt that God could ever forgive you. Do you know the famed psychiatrist Carl Menninger once said, if I could convince the patients in the psychiatric hospitals in the USA that their sins are forgiven, at least 75% of them would walk out tomorrow. And Ron Lee Davis in his book, A Forgiving God in an Unforgiving World, tells a beautiful story. And the story goes like this. When he was in seminary, he did commit what he thought was almost an unforgivable sin. And he'd asked God to forgive him, but he had this gnawing doubt all the way through his ministry that God could not forgive him. And he went to a parish, actually in the Philippines. And in the parish was a lady who said that she used to have encounters with God in her 
sleep time and her dreams, encounters with Jesus. And so he, decided, he didn't believe this, so he tested her and he said to her one day, he said, Madam, he said, next time you're in your dreams and you're talking to Jesus, would you please ask him what your priest did in seminary? What sin he committed in seminary? And so she says, okay. So a few days later she was, um, came to see him and he said, well, tell me, lady, um, what did Jesus say? And she said, Jesus said, I've forgotten. Because the Bible says this, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake, and I remember your sins no more. What God forgives, he completely forgives, and he wipes out. It's a clean slate. And he offers healing, strength, deliverance to his people. Secondly, the second thing we can learn is this. The one who's done so much for us, we can be fully devoted and committed to in every area of our life. Once healed and saved, Mary practiced her faith wholeheartedly in following Christ. She followed with full consecration. She was fully consecrated to Christ, ministering to his needs as well as the disciples from her substance. You know, giving money is a sure sign of loving service. It really is. Giving money to the needs of others is a very practical sign of love and devotion. The second thing about Mary in terms of service is this. She teaches us what it means to be a devoted follower of Christ. She was a loyal companion. She stuck with Jesus through the thick and the thin. Can I say, church, how we need each other. When things are going well in a church, it's great. But sometimes things don't go so well. How we need to be loyal and to stick with one another. Stickability, that's what she showed. And in our culture today, we have this consumerist culture. Oh, I'll go to this church if it meets my needs. I'll go to that church if it meets my needs. But what we need is relationships in the church. Friendships, real friendships. So when the chips are down, we can support each other. That's what Mary shows us. She had a real relationship with Jesus and with the disciples. And the last thing about Mary, Mary's life teaches us this, to be a fearless witness for Christ. You've heard me say it before. Many Christians are like Arctic rivers, frozen at the mouth. We do lots of loving service and lots of loving acts for people, but we very rarely will open our mouth and tell people about the reason why. And that is why we are in this season of evangelism right now, and I am praying that every member of the church will have at least one person they will invite to come and hear the good news of Jesus. That's why you've got two Alpha invites. This is not a little program just to kind of A nice little program is to get the message out that God loves them, can deliver them, can set them free, and life abundant can follow. 
So those are the things we can learn from Mary. Mary Magdalene, thankful, faithful, devoted. What about each one of us? I felt today that I wanted to pray a prayer over the church. A prayer of deliverance from any demonic activity in your life. It may not be a need for you, but I just want to invite you all to stand and I'd like to just pray a prayer over everybody since we've been talking about this. Um, I know that myself, I have struggles, I have oppressions, um, and, and I have to, sometimes we have to fight as Christians, not give up. But I want to pray a prayer which I've written out here. And if, 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 if you know there's been some oppression in your life, if you know there's been some difficulties, some fears in your life, I want you to take a hold of this prayer now. And I'm going to speak to the demonic powers. I'm going to, I can command the demonic powers to be silent. You are not to say anything in the name of Jesus. I bind you. I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of the living God... I rebuke every demonic spirit that's oppressing the church and oppressing my brothers and sisters and my friends. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I bind you. You cannot speak. And I cast you out of every situation, of every soul, of every um, oppression. I cast you out of my friends here in the name of Jesus. For the sick, I command healing in Jesus' name. Release those who you are causing sickness to in the name of Jesus. You're bound. And I send you to the pit of hell where you will be dealt with at the last day when Jesus returns. You're to remain bound there and not to move. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come and you would fill your people with your love and your power and your grace, and your peace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, the sweetest name, the one who set Mary free, the one whom she served with all her heart, Lord, may we serve you with all our hearts. Lord, when you died on the cross for our sins, you forgave everything as we confess to you. If there's a sin in your life that you feel you want to confess in your heart to Jesus now, I want to encourage you just to tell the Lord. He knows. And say, Lord, I believe that you will forgive me and you will remember my sins no more. Lord, Set your people free as they pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. One or two of you need to turn the TV off. Get out in the sunshine and praise the Lord. Open the Bible and read the scriptures. Read a good book. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you forgive us our sins as we ask you to forgive us and you remember our sins no more. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
I just want you to remain standard. I'm going to ask the organist now to come and play our final hymn, which is Take My Life and Let It Be. It's a song of consecration and commitment